If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly two cents segment. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. And we take a plain English look at the big three property news stories of the week. And I'm joined by Chris Bates. How's things, Chris? Things are good here, Pete. How's um, how's life tracking for you? It's pretty good. I've um, just working on a new book deal this week. So I've got a book coming out in the new year, which I'm excited about. Just uh uh, letting the ink dry on the contract, or at least working out the terms and conditions. But uh, yeah, co-authoring a book this time around with Kate Bacos. So really excited to uh, put that one together. So it's keeping me busy. How about yourself? What's news? Is that number five or six? Or I think I've lost track. It might even be my seventh published wow. book. I've done there a few. Uh, yeah, I've done a few other bits and pieces. You know, sort of uh, e-books and the like. But actually, I think. On the shelves, this will be number seven. So, yeah, pretty excited, actually. It's been a while since I've got one out there, so looking forward to that. Um, what else is news? Oh, things are good here. We've got some uh, big, exciting changes with the business, which I can't reveal too much, but everything will be revealed in um, early next year, which is super exciting. So I'm spending a lot of time organising that change. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've uh, just spent the weekend up in Newcastle on Mum's birthday, which is awesome. It's always good to walk along Merriweather Beach and um, have a coffee down there. So, But, yeah, head down, bum up for Christmas now. It's only three or four weeks and um, I'm off to Thailand in January. So I'm excited about that. But uh, between, feels like a long time away, the holiday. I'm not even thinking about it yet. Just get through this next three or four weeks. <laughs> yeah, I may see it's the, the home straight, I guess, running into, uh, into um, the Christmas break. Now, I um, was just flicking through the news this morning. I know you saw it as well. Uh, so this has come sort of hot off the press and it said that Chris Minns, the Minns government is going to force councils to lift long-standing bans on building terraces, townhouses and two-storey apartment blocks in some parts of New South Wales. So that, this is obviously a fresh news story this morning for us. So uh, have you had a chance to absorb any of that yet? Look, I think it's something that's been in the pipeline for some months. They've been leaking 
little bits of information um, that they are going to make some pretty big changes. Um, and I think all of it hasn't really all come out yet. So I think we're probably jumping the gun to talk about it this week. But next week, let's do a super special on it because it is big news. When you're changing zoning at a at a whole city level, it's going to change where developers can and can't build and, and potentially where they're going to build. And I think it's a, something we should probably do a deep dive on next week. But uh, it is some big news. So what are we going to cover this week instead, Pete? Yeah, so, yeah, this um, week's three news stories. Auction slowdown is clipping house price momentum. So a few different uh, outlets covered that story. It's a big weekend of auctions, over a 1,000 in Melbourne and quite a few in Sydney too. So um, is that just slowing the market as we go into the Christmas period? Um, seems to quite often happen, actually. We get a market kind of runs out of steam as we get towards the end of the year, but also what does it mean when we open up again in 2024? Uh, secondly, um, Airbnb swallowing rental homes. This was a macro business article. I think it was a, a data insight from Louis Christopher at SQM Research um, showing the increase in Airbnb listings since 2016 uh, to 2023. And I guess there's over 200,000 of them in Australia now. And uh, just a, a look there at what that's doing to the rental market and how big an impact it is actually having. And then third new story of the week, High house prices are killing off our entrepreneurs. This was John Kehoe in the uh, Australian Financial Review. I guess this is um, a point that sort of raises itself every so often. Um, does a, a rising or a strong housing market, is that good uh, for entrepreneurs because they can use some of their equity and get a small business loan and maybe get an asset base behind them? Or is it a um, an impediment to entrepreneurship because uh, the high cost of housing requires uh, more people to work with two incomes and uh, sort of working around the clock to pay the mortgage bill. So uh, those are the three stories we'll look at. So we start with the first one, Chris, auction slowdown. So I guess um, almost every week now we get sort of an auction report that goes out there. CoreLogic does a really uh, good one that's usually out by the end of the weekend. And I guess, yes, the general trend has been over recent weeks that the uh, preliminary auction clearance rates are on the way down. We've had quite a lot of auctions. I think over a thousand in Melbourne this weekend, just gone. Um, and um, yeah, I guess uh, price growth seems to have slowed down a bit as well. I know you made the point last week. Maybe there's a bit of a multi-speed market going on, and some uh, properties are doing better than others. But how do you think? Um, how do you think things are shaping up? And will that kind of slower sentiment carry over into 2024, or does the new year bring a kind of a reset? Look, I do think the auction clearance rate is really, in my mind, just the desperation meter of the market. So, you know, at 60 70%, it's not that desperate. But if it goes to 80% or even 90%, it shows that everyone's just buying absolutely everything, even if it's good or bad, because they're desperate. And, um, you know, and we've seen that in boom times. And then you can see the opposite. When it gets to 50 60%, you can see that people are very selective. They're very picky. Um, they're not going to buy anything unless it's actually a quality asset. And so, you know, when it's in that sort of 60 to 70% range, I think that's like just a balanced market. And, you know, I think it should be that type of market at the moment. When you've got interest rates over 6% now, particularly with the last rate rise, um, your borrowing capacity is down 35 40%. You know, everything shouldn't be selling like hotcakes, right? It should be, you know, buyers should be very selective. But if a good asset comes on, um, and, and there, even though there is a lot of auctions happening, there's still listing numbers. Overall, listings are really low. Um, and, you know, uh, particularly the housing markets in our capital cities, not, not the unit markets. And so, 
if you're sort of hanging around, you're looking for a house, there's not much on the market and it's a good asset, um, you've got to gamble whether you, you hold off. And, um, you know, waiting for that dream asset, the best street, the best aspect um, could mean that you, you know, miss a, you know, six months or something like that. In this marketplace, it might be another 5%, etc. cetera. So I think the auction clearance rates, you know, coming back down makes sense given that prices have come back up a bit um, and interest rates are still really high. And so I think this recovery is running out of steam a little bit. That's sort of what all the numbers are pointing to. But that doesn't mean that subsets of the market won't continue to kick on in 2024. And I think that's going to be the case. I think we're still going to see very low listings because high rates mean that, you know, very low turnover because people can't afford to keep jumping. Um and or don't want to, you know, upsize when the rates are high. Um, and so you're still going to see low stock of good assets. And I do think there's still momentum in the market. And while this intergenerational wealth has surprised me this year, I think there's still, you know, billions and trillions of dollars that are going to get passed down in the next few years. And I think that's the, the thing that will support prices back into 2024, even without rate cuts or higher borrowing capacity. It's an interesting point. I saw uh, Ray White's chief economist, Nerida Connorsby, said uh, that some loss-making sellers are just selling up, which is starting to favour first-home buyers. That's definitely something I've heard a bit about in recent weeks. Investors who bought properties that have been underwhelming sort of over the last cycle, and particularly now they've got some cash burn as well. I think a lot of people are thinking, you know what, I'm just going to cover losses with this and uh, move on, you know, move on with my life or move on to the next investment. And I think we're seeing more investors getting out of the market than coming in, which is obviously having a knock-on impact to the rental market, as we'll come on to in a minute. So I guess, um, yeah, the property forecasters, there's a bit of a dichotomy for next year. Um, Louis Christopher at SQM says there could be some modest price declines, maybe in Sydney or Melbourne, but uh, Ray White, Nerida Connorsby, um, well, she sort of uh, said, well, do we really expect prices to decline when I mean, we've got an enormous shortfall of housing projected over the next year or two, uh, you know, 40,000 dwellings, you know, in a year and so on. Um, so she's sort of saying slower price gains, but nevertheless, uh, similar price gains in 2024 to what we've seen this year. So I guess it's that tug of war, I guess. We've got record population growth. We've seen rising mortgage rates. And uh, I guess uh, the last rate hike has just tapped on the brakes a bit further. But um, as you said, just the same day that that article came out, there was another piece in the Fin saying uh, Sydney Harbour House in, I think it was Seaforth, sold for $1.5 million over reserve, $12 million sale. So even though, yes, overall the price growth seems to have sold, it's a pretty thin market overall. It's not like uh, transaction levels are pretty high. And the odd property is just going blasting past reserve. And I would just add as well, so the Brisbane market, probably hasn't slowed anything like as much as Sydney and Melbourne and the activity is still pretty hot up there. Yeah, I think Brisbane's got that affordability benefit, right? When rates are higher and borrowing capacities are tighter, even if people wanted to borrow more money, they can't at the moment. And they're saying, well, my budget is X. That can't get me into the areas I want to be in Sydney, Melbourne. And But, you know, we haven't got strong family ties. You know, I've been up to Brisbane. I've been up to Southeast Queensland. Um, we do need to get something secured for our family. You know, we, we're going to be our borrowing capacities are unlikely to go up much in the next few years because of our incomes aren't likely to go up. Um, 
And so if we wait for our incomes to go up and borrowing capacity go up, well, we might miss out because prices could run on us. And so I think there's that little bit of a that fear that if we don't act now um, and prices run on us and our borrowing capacity can't go up and we have no access to inter and intergenerational wealth, which a lot of people don't, it is the inequality debate. Um, and so, yeah, I can see Brisbane really piggybacking off that and, um, yeah, winning because it is much more affordable up there to get something for, you know, your long-term family. Louis Christopher's um, done his boom and bust report. So that's what he's been in the news pretty much every day the last week. Um, I've got him coming on the podcast in two days' time. And so it's going to be a good to go a deep dive on that and be good to get Nerida on her actually as well because she's got the whole real estate view as well at what's happening at Ray White. But, um, yeah, 2024, I do think you're going to see this split. We are seeing investors selling. Um, uh, we, we do go through looks of um, the people who have left our business over the last, uh, last few months and, you know, it's people who are usually selling investment properties. It's, it's people who have, you know, maybe they've done all right out of it, not always loss making, but by selling that it just relieves a lot of pressure and it doesn't not a bad time to sell. Yeah, maybe they could sell it higher in one or two years' time but it is a bit of a cash burn anyway and why not take my money on that if I wasn't going to hold it long term because I can still get a good price if it's a house in a, in a capital city. Um, that will give me more buffer to help me protect my home um, and that's what people are more likely to do is sell investments and try to keep their home. So, yeah, 2024 is going to be exciting. What's our next story, Pete? Well, very topical because uh, the second news story, Airbnb swallowing rental homes, was actually from Louis Christopher indirectly. Interesting data series from SQM Research. And I guess um, what they put together there is some data showing how the number of um, Airbnb uh, listings has increased since 2016 from, broadly speaking, 100,000 to 200,000. Um, and since um, around the peak of the vacancy rates for the uh, residential market for a typical the long-term weekly rental market anyway uh, the number of residential listings is uh, for rentals has dropped from about 140,000 well it's basically halved I guess over the same kind of time period now I would just say I mean obviously Airbnb has increased and I definitely uh, would um, concede that it's an issue in the market but I, I do wonder whether this is directly comparable because an Airbnb listing, for example, um, you might um, pull together a website or a listing, but it might just stay there all year round, I guess, and you've got certain dates that you can book for. So I guess on that basis, you would generally expect to see the number of Airbnb listings just going up every year, which is actually what the graph more or less shows with a, a bit of a blip during COVID. Um, so basically a doubling of Airbnb listings since 2016. But the rental, uh, the typical uh, long-term residential vacancies well that would be very cyclical it goes up and down through the market cycle at the moment vacancies are very low six years ago they were very high i guess uh, they'll be low for the next couple of years but as uh, nasim taleb always says every shortage is always followed by glut and i wonder whether um that was probably what we'll see this time around so i just don't know whether we're comparing apples with apples here because an airbnb might be a static home, a caravan. It could be just one bedroom, could be a granny flat. So I definitely think Airbnb is an issue in the rental market, but I don't know if it's the big issue that people think it is because um, yeah, the rental market tends to be cyclical. And if it wasn't so many years ago, we we're talking about an oversupply of rentals, now an undersupply. So I just wonder whether it's more of a cyclical issue than a, a systemic one. 
Look, I do think there's certain pockets around the country and that have got inadequate number of housing and dwellings, and then they've got an over proportion um, listing of Airbnbs. Like they're tourist hotspots, and tourists are basically can pay more than long term renters, and it's creating issues with key workers. And so there are pockets, but I think the governments and the councils in those areas are taking action. Look at the Byron Council, Noosa, et cetera. And so, however, as a broad country, you know, 200,000. Airbnbs off 11 million dwellings. It's not like we've got a huge portion of our properties that are occupied under Airbnb. And I would say, like you said there, Pete, you know, not all of it's, you know, single apartments or houses that are full-time rented on Airbnb. People sometimes put them on for when they're on holidays or six months and they're living overseas or it's just a room or it's a granny flat or et cetera. And so I think Airbnb is an easy target when the government um, have to admit that they've done a lot of things against investors for a good part of a decade. But it's easy for them to sort of come out and say, oh, the issue is Airbnb. I think it's like when back in 2015, um, you know, foreign investors and, you know, were the real issue why we have, you know, massive increase in apartment prices and house prices is because everyone's buying our properties from China, which was just absolute nonsense, right? So I think it's just an easy way out for the government. Hence why I think the Victorian government made a big point of it. Hey, we're going to start taxing Airbnb 7.5% because it was an easy thing. It's, you know, upsetting Airbnb investors is easy to do rather than upsetting, you know, the um, their major voters, which is sort of the housing market. So, yeah, I think it's something to watch. I, I do think it's getting a bit unfair, to be honest, with Airbnb. I think you know, it allows people to rent out their properties and, and you know get an income on it that's their assets, whether they do that short-term or long-term. How is it right for the government to say you can't do short-term? supports our economy, tourism. Um, it gives people – a lot of people uh, want to use Airbnb when they travel, but then they don't want to use it in their own country. They don't want to have it in their own country. So I think it's a bit hypocritical as well. So, um, yeah, I think Airbnb and short stays here to stay, to be honest. But I can see councils and governments just attacking it more and more because it's an easy way to look like they're doing something. It's politically more popular to whack attacks on Airbnb, I'm sure. Um, so no question about that. And I do agree, actually, if you look in certain parts of the country, um, I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast once before, I stayed at an Airbnb on the lower North Shore and I'd say 80, 90% of the block of units was on Airbnb and every person you met in the elevator was another person in an Airbnb. And I think sometimes some blocks actually lend themselves to that style of uh, rental uh, more so than others. And yeah, maybe in some holiday uh, regions, it makes sense as well. I do think there's another factor as well. And some people just need a higher rental income to justify um, holding the property when they've got higher mortgage rates than they did a couple of years ago. So there's a bit of that going on as well. But yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I do think it's largely a cyclical issue, though. And I think the rental market will find its own level again in time. Um, and this is just something you see in economics, every shortage. I was reading this week that um, the price of mutton is down 70% from the highs because we've had a massive um, shortage and now we've got more sheep than we need. It's just uh, It just seems to be the way things go. There's more production, uh, prices go high, people stop consuming and then things go the other way. And um, I guess the Reserve Bank will be hoping we see that with things like groceries and fuel prices and everything else in the economy as well after that period of inflation. But it's definitely the same with rental properties. Every cycle has a shortage and then it's later followed by glut two or three years down the track. So we'll see how that one plays out. So Chris, third and final news story this week, high house prices 
are killing off our entrepreneurs, John Kehoe, in the Fin Review. So yes, on the one hand, high mortgage costs are definitely an impediment to entrepreneurs. And I think as well, you know, potentially on the housing market point, yeah, potentially too many entrepreneurs go into things like real estate development or, uh, dare I say, some of the uh, professions that we've been involved in, Chris. But uh, I guess there's another side to it, and that is like a lot of small business loans in Australia come from equity that's secured against a, a property or a home. And also I sort of note as well, I mean, if you go to, oh, I don't know, Palo Alto or somewhere like that, well, the home costs five million bucks and it hasn't stopped uh, motivated entrepreneurs in the Valley or other parts of um, the US where entrepreneurship is so popular. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely two sides to the story. And um, I think, um, yeah, the there's often, I think, um, at various points in the cycle, you know, there's people say, well, housing prices are hurting entrepreneurship. And there has been a bit of a drop off in business startup rates uh, since 2019. But there's been so many other factors at play as well, interest rates, COVID. Uh, so I'm not sure it's quite as clear cut, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right, Pete. I think there's um, a bigger issue here. It's tall poppy syndrome in Australia. It's, you know, this the success of our housing market, to be honest. It, it does, and the way that our tax setting is, you know, tax-free growth on your home, um, the ability to leverage into housing at low interest rates, um, you know, the returns on that, you know, does make it sometimes more enticing than the risk of going and starting a business. And um, I do think it's much easier to get business, fi- you know, business finance once you've got a home. But you know that stops the twenty-five-year-old trying to start a business and get finance. You know, it's very hard for them until they've got an asset like a home to leverage off. So, um, I-, I think overall, though, high house prices and high. If you then upgrade your home and it costs you an extra million dollars, then you're in a lot more debt. That's going to stop you investing more in your business. It's going to stop you starting another business. Um, because A, your cash flow expenses are really high. Um, and B, you know, you know, if something goes wrong, you're gonna have to sell because you, you know, you've got all these uh, bigger fixed costs and things like that. So I think overall the argument that higher house prices, meaning more debt, is gonna slow down piece business innovation. I do think it's true. I do think that's one of the negatives of having a system that's so heavily weighted towards the housing market, you know. Um, it's $10 trillion, you know, the value of our housing market versus, say, $2, 3000000000000 trillion in our stock market or $2, 3000000000 trillion in super. Um, and so you can see we've got this, and even the commercial property market's only a few trillion versus the housing market. So then you've got, so all our wealth is there, majorly heavily weighted to residential property, but also um, our bank profits, you know, our biggest companies. Um, you've got the government in terms of our taxes, et cetera. So we've built this system. And I do think one of the things that falls out of this system is it means that you take less risk because the the cost to rent, the cost to live, the cost to buy is so prohibitive that if you want to do that plus take risk and um, and start a business and if it fails and you might not have homes, uh, you know, somewhere to live um, long term, um, then I think you take less risks. And I, I would say that that, that has played out, uh, hence why I think we've got less innovation in Australia than places around the world where, you know, in the US, I know you mentioned there around house prices are very expensive in some pockets, but overall their housing is much more affordable, you know, compared to their income and you can still get housing security um, and you can move different cities and, you know, you've got more options than in Australia. We've just got, you know, a, a handful of options at best on where you can live and start a business. 
That's a big part of it. I'm going over to Boston actually next year for a wedding and uh, not mine, I should have a family wedding. But uh, yeah, there's so many different cities you could choose to live in in the US. And I think Australia could learn from that really. We uh, really should consider how decentralization can work better because both you and I don't live in the city anymore. We used to. And, you know, there's definitely other parts of the country uh, we could go to. I think, um, I mean, we have this debate every year when Australia is now top of the table for um, median adult uh, net worth you know, globally. So, I mean, very successful country. You know, you would uh, definitely want to be at the top of that list. But, you know, if part of that is obviously the housing price story and, you know, that's good for some people and less good for others. I think sometimes you need to be a bit careful about you, what you wish for. You mentioned that commercial property. I saw this week lender fears around falling office values. Well, yeah, that's right. The resi market's been strong, but um, CBRE, uh, their latest sentiments have uh, showed that uh, well, lenders are getting very concerned about falling office values and sort of a deepening downturn in the office because people aren't necessarily all back in the office. Maybe asset valuations aren't as high as they thought. And you know, this is what could precipitate the end of the interest rate cycle and rates being cut. I think if lenders are getting very twitchy, uh, particularly about office assets, much less so, I should say, on the industrial properties, which seem to be uh, doing pretty well overall. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I think, um, you know, when housing prices are rising, you get more construction, you get the wealth effect, more people are spending, people are happy to travel. When you get the downturn in the housing market, it typically brings a slowdown in all of those things, sometimes a recession, you don't always get the soft landing. So yeah, there's always two sides to this stuff. Um, and when things are, as you said, when the market's rising, people are looking for reasons and they're very critical, but it's actually just as bad sometimes when prices are going the other way. So uh, yeah, a bit of a case of careful what you wish for sometimes. Yeah, and I think um, sometimes people who are property bears, um, you know, and they're very much, you know, pro, you know, building businesses and, you know, investing in equities and supporting other, you know, startups, et cetera, um, they despise the housing market and they, you know, I don't want to invest in that and then they start going on a perpetual um, confirmation bias that housing market's going to fall and they follow the big property bears out there and, um, they're very anti and they come out with things like this, but they don't really, I guess, take the uh, take a step back and think the system has already been built. This is, you know, to change our system to that other system is that ideal world where people are very taking risks and starting businesses and that's where it's much easier to get funding and changing our tax system. You've got to have a huge change to our overall wealth and how is that in the interest of the government and, um, you know, the interest in most Australians who've got their wealth tied up in that. And so I think this is the issue it's been. We've built this system. Um, yeah, potentially we should look at ways of transitioning that to a better system, I believe, With, but, you know, that's changing our culture. You know, the tall poppy syndrome in Australia is real and, you know, the, the fear of failure um, starts generations before that person is 24. It's, you know, the parents are very... Um, you know, anti, go to uni, just get a job. They're not sitting there and saying, you know what, just start a business and uh, it's okay if you fail. That's just part of life. We haven't got that sort of belief, I don't believe, in our country life. I think other countries sometimes do. Well, yeah, all very good points. I couldn't really disagree with any of that. I think uh, now we're recording this midweek, Chris, and by the time this goes to where there'll be more inflation figures out, which I guess will uh, get the wires uh, excited this week um, i think um i mean looking ahead to next week we'll probably talk about some of that on next week's show but i did see woolworths this week saying uh grocery inflation peaked at 10.5 percent painful in november 2020 
two, and it remained stubbornly high all the way through until March this year. But since then, inflation has come down to 3.4%. We've also got vegetables, fruit, and red meat, and especially lamb, all in deflation. Um, also, the NRMA said fuel prices have fallen by 10.8 cents per litre this week and should fall into the high 170s over the next two to three weeks. That's from 197 cents. So there's some promising signs there that inflation is starting to fall away. Certainly other parts of the world are seeing that. So I guess that's all ahead for us to uh, look forward to next week, Chris. Um, and I guess by the time this goes to air, there'll be more information coming to light. I think the government really needs a break here because they're under a lot of pressure. The polls are diabolical. And the cost of living mm. is front of mind for so many households, I guess. Yeah, I bet you're pretty happy that sausages, baked beans, bacon haven't kept going up, Pete. As a good Englishman, I'm pretty sure that's part of your staples. So, Not as a um, vegetarian, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I grew up in an English household with sausages and uh, bacon and the, the bacon buddies is pretty much uh, baked beans are the, the things that we uh, we put in our trolley first. So um, that's going to get uh, the English people be very happy with prices going back down. So. Um, hope you have a good week here, Pete. I think um, next week's going to be an interesting episode. I, I do want to do a big deep dive on what's happening in New South Wales because I do think it's, um, you know, the issues there are probably the greatest, I would say, um, you know, with, with, with rental crisis and housing affordability. Um, and so whatever happens here might be a bit of a canary in the coal mine for what might happen in Melbourne, what might happen in Brisbane in, you know, the years to come. And you know, if you're making moves with your property decisions, you're like, okay, this is a good big direction change. Um, how does that affect what I've owned or what I want to buy? And that could you could also apply that within Brisbane and Melbourne and go, well, yeah, in 10 years' time, if these issues start to become here, well, this is what the government might do is what they just did in Sydney. And so let's watch this very closely as it, as it flows through over the next couple of months. You made a good point there. Changes in interest rates and the cost of living crisis is impacting some households profusely. Other households, particularly sort of baby boomers or people pre-retirees or retirees, far less impacted. And I guess that is the dichotomy and the challenge, I guess, for policymakers at the moment. And uh, yeah, so um, as you said, there's a bit of a step change happening in the market and it'll be interesting to see how things play out. You can catch me at Pete Wardgen Blogspot. That's my daily blog or at Pete Wardgen on Twitter. And you can always track down Chris at Blusk and do send us your property questions. So uh, we always look forward to those and we'll do a Q&A fairly soon as well. So thanks very much, Chris. Always a pleasure and uh, look forward to chatting with you next week. Awesome. Let's do it, Pete. Cheers. Happy Sunday, everyone. Cheers, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. 
After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.